This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Do you find yourself juggling multiple websites and clinical tools as you care for your patients? NeoCarePal is a resource providing access to multiple clinical calculators in just one place. To learn more, visit nicuconnections.com backslash NeoCarePal. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova-Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator Podcast. We are back for a special episode today. Um, we are joined with the usual crew. Daphna, how's it going today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Ben. And we have two special guests, uh, Dr. Rooney Toms and Dr. Ravi Patel. Rooney, Ravi, how, how are you both doing today? I'm good. Uh, ben, Daphna, and Rooney, it's good to be here. Yeah. Um, Thanks, thank you. Thanks, thank you both. Doing well. Thank you both for making the time to be with us. And the purpose of this update episode is uh, really to try to talk a little bit about what's been happening with probiotics in the NICU world. I think if you've been just glancing at Twitter recently, there's a lot of talk about probiotics. And people may wonder, did something happen? Did a big publication come out? And so we wanted to give you an update as to, first of all, what happened, and then maybe share our thoughts about what this means for our patients, for the NICU, and for future in general. So um, the decision to record this episode is mostly driven by a warning sent by the FDA on September 29th, uh, 2003, so a few days ago, uh, where the FDA is basically warning uh, that preterm infants, and I'm quoting from the FDA warning, um, the, that preterm infants who are given probiotics are at risk of invasive, potentially fatal disease caused by the bacteria or the fungi contained in the probiotics. What exactly happens and, and why this has been uh, published is because they are in the process of investigating the passing of a preterm infant who was receiving probiotics, specifically a single strain uh, of probiotic containing bifidobacterium longum. And the passing of this infant uh, was isn't being investigated because genoming sequencing data demonstrated that the bacterium that caused sepsis in this baby that, that died was a genetic match for the bacteria and the probiotic. Now, in the information section of this of this warning, the FDA is uh, is not going easy on the NICU uh, providers, saying that the FDA. Uh, cautions that microorganisms contained in probiotics have been reported in the medical literature as causing bacteremia or fungemia, sometimes with a severe clinical course in very preterm or very low birth weight infants. They are also referencing the American Academy of Pediatrics statement uh, where they uh, basically quote that sentence from the paper by Dr. Poindexter and colleagues 
saying that the AP cannot recommend uh, or does not support the routine universal administration of probiotics uh, to preterm infants, particularly those under 1,000 grams. And they're attaching a few case reports about uh, instances of babies who've received probiotics who have unfortunately uh, passed away. And so obviously, there is, uh, that's, that's pretty much it when it comes to the FDA warning. And, um, and we're here to discuss a little bit, what does that mean? And, and where is that coming from? Is this really grounded in evidence? So I guess the first thing we should probably do is, is go around the room and maybe, um, Ravi, if you want to get us started, share your thoughts on, on what this means uh, and how you felt when this, this uh, warning came out. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, and a nice summary. You know, first, I'd say it's it's great to share this. Um, people should be aware of this. And I think the FDA is doing their job in alerting clinicians and healthcare providers about these risks to make sure people are aware. I don't think this is a new risk. Um, people in the field and um, and even the AP statement um, have, have highlighted that there are risks of infection potentially from bacteria that are contained in, in the, these probiotic products. And that's been reported before. Unfortunately, it's a very rare and infrequent risk. Um, and we know from trials and in, in babies in trials that, uh, you know, over 10,000 babies, there were no reported cases of probiotic associated sepsis. So I think we can, we can say this is something we should all be aware of, but we have to remember to put it in the context about, um, this being, uh, infrequent rare risk and balance that, that risk with, the benefits that we know of, of these products and, um, and like we do for many of the things that we, we do in the NICU um, on, a, on a daily basis. You're muted, Ben. I'm trying, I'm trying to do good by muting myself so that I'm causing stress. But Rooney, I'm curious to get your perspective. I mean, you have a lot of experience. You are our uh, Daphne and I's regional medical director, but you've been the medical director at the University of Alabama. So I think that from a quality standpoint and from seeing this on a on the more macro scale, uh, what do you think about the FDA coming out with this warning uh, after investigating the death of a single patient? Yeah, well, so, I mean, you're right. It's a, this has been a discussion for many, many years, right? So at, at UAB, for example, there was, we've had, I don't know, um, during my time, multiple, multiple discussions whether or not we should... Uh, start uh, probiotics or not. Um, and I think, honestly, to this day, they may actually not u uh, uniformly use it, partially because of the, the evidence. Um, and we can spend an entire, probably, episode talking about the evidence. Um, but my take would be this, um, that I agree with Ravi that the, the FDAs, they're doing their job. And I'm happy they're on the field of probiotics discussions right now because they've been absent in many ways. They, you know, they're, um, all the probiotics that we use are not FDA approved. Um, and in the early phases of starting probiotics, there were certain cases where uh, we were giving probiotics and they were being tested and turns out that there were actually no bacteria in there. Um, and then the question about liquid form versus powder form, uh, contamination, certainly in the powder form. Um, and then the big question about what bacteria is it that we actually want to give and or what population or constellation of bacteria do we want to give that can uh, positively influence the, the complex microbiome of a developing intestinal tract um, in, a, in a preemie. Um, so I feel as though... Um, 
it had the FDA not done um, what they did, they would not be doing their job. So I'm actually happy that they did this. And I see this as an opportunity to bring the microbiome probiotics discussion to the forefront and hopefully provide even more information based on this bump in the road. That's an interesting take, obviously, because I think uh, you're seeing it from the perspective of, will this be the the spark that initiates the FDA to actually finally look at these products that we want to be using in our infants and maybe consider the evidence that we'll talk about in a little bit uh, to maybe outline a, a path for us to be able to bring this this therapy to the NICU. Daphne, any, any thoughts on, on the FDA warning? And you were one of the first few to share this with our group and in our division. I remember you're the one who sent an early email. Uh, I'm curious <laughs> to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, first, of course, um, any death in the NICU obviously is tragic, right? So, you know, uh, certainly we don't want to diminish what this means for that infant, what that means for this family. Um, and, um, we, as we discuss the evidence, you know, we'll talk about, um, potentially how many lives have been saved with, you know, the use of probiotics. And so it's always such a, such a balance. Um, but you know, I, I, I agree with Rooney. I'm trying to be hopeful about it. I think the community is coming out pretty strongly. Um, and I think parents, especially those involved with the next society, um, are coming out very strongly. And so people are going to have to pay attention to this. And, um, and if not probiotics, then what's the alternative? And if not some medicinal alternative, then what are we doing as a society to you know, ensure the procurement of human milk, which we are just not able to do for every infant? So, so how do mm -hmm. we protect them? You know, <clears throat> absolutely. I think to me, um, the my biggest uh, my, my my main takeaway is that for anybody listening to this episode or who have seen the FDA warning is to not substitute the warning for a summary of the evidence. I think people may say this and say, well, oh, the FDA looked at everything and they said, that's no good. When in truth, when you look at the references in the warning, it's it's very sparse kind of data that they publish and there's nothing really uh, about the many, many trials that have looked at this. So I think that's that's the first step. And then I think it's a little bit biased in my opinion because there's this uh, this quote from Nassim Taleb in, in The Black Swan where he says that there's no monuments to all the September 11 tragedies that were prevented. Uh, so it's hard to, it's always easy to look at the dramatic outcome that is in front of you, but it's rarely easy to actually appreciate all the things you've prevented. And I think that's where it's going to get tricky to balance the two. And the reason I think it's going to, it may be uh, a damaging warning as well from the FDA is I think that for many institutions, looking at this from a medical legal standpoint, at the very least, what we'll have is we'll have a moratorium on probiotics where people will say, well, until we can figure out something, we're going to just stop using it. And in our, in our institution, that's what is currently happening. And there are many people having discussion. But I'm curious um, if you have any thoughts on what you think is going to happen based on this warning. And maybe if you, what would be your approach if you were, if you had all encompassing power, obviously, because it's a very dynamic and multifaceted process. But what, what would be your approach in light of this, of this warning? Well, I think that those are important points. And, you know, I, I would start with saying, you know, the FDA doesn't practice medicine, you know, clinicians do. And, and we should we should realize, you know, we have to weigh 
the risks and benefits of various treatments and and discuss that with families and and think about the values and preferences of families they want their you know they want their babies to have the best health outcomes and we we do that in in um on a daily basis, you know, let's step back maybe and, and frame it. I was reflecting on kind of this issue and thinking about steroids and, and then we can come back to the evidence on probiotics. So, you know, steroids have been tested and, and evaluated. It was one of the first trials in the new nail research network in the late eighties and widely used, you know, in 2002, the AP had a statement that really was very cautionary about the use of steroids and across the United States steroid use, really diminished. Um, you can read their statement last year, they reflect and say, unfortunately, that led to an increase in the incidence and severity of BPD. So more babies were impacted by this disease. Fast forward from 2002 to today, people are using it. If you look at, you know, we don't have any new drugs to prevent BPD um, that are that are available. Um, these are the tools we have today to prevent diseases like BPD. And clinicians are using it, even if there's still not a recommendation for routine use. If you look at the data, um, 25 to 40% of the, the kind of smallest babies receive systemic steroids. And, and in that statement, they say that clinicians should really weigh the risks and the benefits. There are clearly risks, but there are also benefits and discuss it with families. And that is, I think, what we should do in, in the practice of medicine. Steroids don't have an FDA-approved label for the prevention of BPD or the facilitation of extubation, um, but we use it today. What's different about probiotics? Probiotics fall in this different regulatory environment, um, and, and there are some there, there are companies pursuing um, an, a drug labeled indication or a live biotherapeutic product indication for this product. But it is a tool available today for clinicians. And just like steroids, if you thought, you know, 40 years later, where are we? We don't have any other treatments. And I, I worry about, as, you, as to your comment about what's the future going to hold or what's the landscape going to be that, you know, what do we have in the pipeline for things we can do today or five years from now to prevent NEC? Um, mm -hmm. And I... I I think human milk is incredibly important. And if you look at the data, most, you know, we've done a good job with providing access to that. But what else do we have? And that's where this is an important tool. And, and we know it's it's one where we have a lot of data. Um, so it's not something that's just, just starting to be studied. Um, you know, there, there are about, you know, a third of NICUs using it. And many, many clinical trials, many studies of routine use, a lot of information we can do to to quantify actually pretty well, I think, the benefits that, that this has. So I think to to illustrate this point, because we've been talking about the evidence supporting the use of probiotics, you wrote a very nice, or you mm -hmm. were the co-author of a very nice editorial in JAMA Peds, uh coming out that's come out uh, a few days ago, where uh, you're writing an editorial on a paper that conducted a meta-analysis on on the use of probiotics in the NICU and I just wanted to quote some of the of parts of this of this editorial because I think it's very interesting the meta-analysis ended up including 106 trials involving 25,840 preterm infants and concludes that multiple strain probiotics, which is what they were looking at, are associated with decreased all-cause mortality compared with placebo with a high certainty evidence. And we know that that's not often the, the grade that we see with a relative re risk reduction of 31%, an absolute risk reduction of 16.7%. And then and then you write among all comparison, this is the only intervention associated with decreased all-cause mortality. Um, you also mentioned how probiotics have been one of the most evaluated intervention with 
over 50 randomized clinical trials and over 10,000 participants. You also wrote uh, a few months back, a few years back in August 2021 with uh, our friend Abdul Razak, another viewpoint in JAMA Peds where you had conducted this, this sort of fake meta-analysis where you said, well, let's look at all the evidence that we have currently and what would it take for a new study to come and swing the evidence in the opposite direction? And I think that without getting into too much of the detail, the scenario in which the evidence would start swinging completely in the opposite direction would have in, would have would need to involve a trial of 80,000 neonates, I think, and and show no beneficial outcomes. So I think when we say that there is evidence, we're not talking about like one or two papers. We're talking about a lot of babies, tens of thousands of babies, and uh, many, many trials. So I think I think that's a, a critical point to start bringing up. Rooney, any thoughts on on what this warning means for uh, the future of NICUs or the future of probiotic use in in the U.S. specifically? Because obviously the FDA is a U.S. Uh, entity. Yeah, absolutely. No, so I mean, um, you know. That kind of data is important, obviously. I know uh, Ravi's done a, a tremendous job of kind of sorting through the data and the information and, and the publications. Um, and just for the record, I, I was an early adapter when it comes to probiotics. You know, I did, for me, it's all about intestinal health, right? Um, my one concern, though, as in this situation, is we're dealing with one strain of a bacteria, the, the Bifidobacterium longum infantilis, right? So, and we've sat through lectures. They tell us this is the bacteria we should focus on, right? And even a company has been able to um, isolate that bacteria and produce it. So that's the one we've been giving. Um, and this is the one that also caused that that one uh, situation of sepsis. And then there are other probiotics which have a more of a balanced kind of flora of um, bacteria. Um, and so... In many ways, the way I see it is that we're we're given giving all sorts of different types of bacteria. It's not as though we're all only giving, say, five milligrams of uh, per kilograms of ibuprofen every single time in every single hospital all over the world, and we can say, "Hey, this is making a difference," right? So, what I'm hoping is going to come out of this is for us to again em- embrace the complexity of the microbiome. Um, and maybe dive in a little bit uh, deeper in in the understanding of are we actually talking about one bacteria? Are we talking about a thousands of bacteria? Are we going to be able to create some? We can measure the colony forming units in the urine, um, but we don't have that as part of when we gave the vivo. I have no clue how how much bacteria of the infantilis I'm actually giving. Right, so. Are we going to start being able to titrate it? Are we going to be able to give different populations to certain weight groups versus another? Are we going to give certain probiotics with mother's milk and certain probiotics with formula, for example? That's what I'm hoping is going to come out of this. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you, Ronnie. Daphne, before you you give your thoughts, I just want to maybe continue to share some of the some of the comments that we are seeing on Twitter. And I think um, Dr. Suresh Gotham, who's very active and, and a great educator, um, posted recently on Twitter that. 
the use of probiotics and neonate in the U.S. is, in his opinion, uh, almost a lost cause. The first nail in the coffin was the 2021 AP uh, coffin statement, and the recent FDA alert sealed the fate for probiotics. In my opinion, we should focus now on reducing intestinal dysbiosis in neonates in other ways. And there's a long discussion involving a lot of very prominent uh, researchers, authors, and clinicians like Nick Embleton, Jonathan Swanson um, about about that. But I'm just curious, um, do you... Are you, what are your thoughts on on what this means for for the future? Yeah, I, I can uh, I can share that. I, I think we as clinicians should advocate for the tools that we can use today that we have available today, legally available to help prevent morbidity. And I think that would be one of the things before just accepting that you know this is just going to be the fate. I, I think there's an opportunity to advocate and, and maybe to really bring in the voices of patients and their fam- and families who can be impacted by this. Because this is, if every NICU in the U.S. stops using this today, there's going to be an impact. I think that the math and the evidence is going to show there's an impact. And it's going to be a real, you know, I think it's going to be a, a tangible impact. We know on our own data we've looked at, one baby a day dies from neck on average in the United States. So I, I think we should realize um, that that uh, I, I, would, I would be a little bit more optimistic and hoping there's a path forward for those centers that really would like to use it. Um, it we'll, we'll have to see um, of, of thinking of ways they can inform families. And that would be one That's of the ways I think to... Next, yeah. uh, Ravi. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you because you posted something that is actually quite impactful on, on Twitter. But I just wanted to see if, if Daphna wanted to share her thoughts before we move on to what is going to be the path forward. Because I think, like you said, Ravi, there is a path forward. No, well, I think you guys have touched about this, touched on this. I think this is a very U.S. focused discussion, right? Because this is not a discussion being had uh, globally. Because uh, probiotics have basically been adopted um, in many other countries. Um, you know, Vaughn put out um, a, a study in 2021 um, looking at probiotic exposure between 2018 and 2020. And I mean, in European countries, it's uh, nearly 50%. In the Asian and Pacific Rim countries, it's nearly 40%. Here in North America, it's 13%. And and our Canadian colleagues are using probiotics in much higher numbers than we are. And I guess my thoughts about the discussion are, you know, we talk a lot about how do we get research to bedside and why does it take more than a decade to do that? Um, and what are our obligations as clinicians and scientists about, you know, pushing the um, not just industry, but our regulatory organizations to say, we we need we need recommendations you know we need help with this um you know why has it taken so long why has this kind of last real decade of uh investigation on probiotics been kind of ignored for the most part mm-hmm. and i don't have the answer to that it's just <laughs> Um, Ravi, I wanted to to uh, follow up what you were mentioning earlier. You posted something on Twitter uh, a few hours ago saying that uh, looking at a paper published in in uh, on the JAMA network uh, that from 1999 to 2020 there were 8,951 deaths from necrotizing enterocolitis in the U.S., which meant that on average one baby died from neck each day in the U.S. And you said let that sink in one baby every day. And I think, like you said, that this is not a warning that will be without repercussion. I think there will be direct repercussions if we decide to withhold a, an intervention that can prevent uh, a mortality associated with neck. 
And I guess the question that I'm asking you is, I think there will be a path for probiotics and this kind of intervention to probably make its way back to the NICU. Do you feel that this is going to be something that will be able to maybe um, reintroduce in the form of uh, a, a drug and, and have a, that has a, a parental consent and we can say, hey, we can actually, we're going to actually end up delivering it with uh, as a shared decision-making process with the parents? Or do you think that the voice against this warning from the clinicians is going to be so strong that the FDA will have to come out with a more comprehensive statement that reviews the entire body of evidence? I'm just curious if, what you think, because I, I know you've, uh, you've been trying to get a, a hold of the FDA. Yeah, I think that the kind of comment about the, the requirements for an IND um, that for clinical use, I think that that needs a little bit of clarification um, as how it impacts sites. I, I do think, and this would be consistent with the recommendations by the AAP, that, that we should have discussions with families about the benefits and the risks. And this is one of those risks. I think it's been known. I'm not sure if there was a drug formulation of a live bacteria that, that actually this would, this risk would magically disappear. Um, because you're, you know, even if there was a drug formulation of a probiotic bacteria that you're giving, there's still going to be risks of, of sepsis. It's probably going to be infrequent. It's unclear if a, a trial could detect that because it's probably going to be uncommon. Um, but informing families, you know, my, my hope for the path forward for those centers that really want to use it is that there's going to be available supplements on the market that they can use to supplement these beneficial bacteria and that they can go forward. And if they're concerned to have discussions with families and informing them, and maybe for some NICUs, that might be a written informed consent process. And for others, they can make decisions and say, you know, that this is something that we want to wait for um, a drug formulation and, and there's, you know, trials ongoing. And I think that's also very reasonable to say, you know, and we should encourage and um, those companies that are pursuing um, products to, to give us more options for, for those NICUs that don't want to. But um, that, that would be where I, I think there, there's, you know, the two paths forward. We, we talked about it in, in the article a couple of years ago, but I, I think we shouldn't close one of those paths forward um, and, and just stop completely. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned, you mentioned the, the term IND, and for people who are not familiar with that acronym, it's Investigational New Drug. Um, and basically, this is a process that if you want a drug to be used in the United States, you have to submit this application to the FDA and they have to approve it. And obviously, this is something that the, the probiotics have do not have. And it surrounds, I guess, the question of, is this a supplement? Is this a drug? Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious to hear um, what you think, because this is a topic of discussion all the time. Even when we were implementing uh, the use of probiotics in our NICU, mm -hmm. the question is, well, is this going to be pharmacy who's going to be dispensing this? Or is this going to mm -hmm. be in our milk room as part of the nutritional supplements? So, mm -hmm. um, Rooney, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think this is maybe going to help um, identify its place in our treatment. And uh, yes, as clinicians, um, we have to be fully informed about this. But remember, I, I like the discussion because what we're passionate about this and we've all experienced neck. We, every neonatologist hates neck. Um, and that's why we're so passionate about trying to prevent it. But uh, preventive medicine within the NICU has been on the back burner for many years. So now preventive kind of medicine is being brought to the front burner within neonatology. And I will say, you know, this is not like, you know, Dr. Bartlett putting the first baby on ECMO um, many, many years ago. That baby had a, you know, 98, 99% chance of not surviving either way. So they attempted ECMO. Here we're attempting to prevent a devastating disease, a deadly disease um, in a patient 
that maybe has a, you know, depending on your institution, a three, three to 5% chance of developing that. Um, so that's a discussion. And are we, are we focusing on, um, is a bacteria the thing or is there something that the, is it all about inflammation and development of the intestines? And that's, that's what I would love to bring forth as part of this discussion. Maybe, maybe we're, um, you know, talking about the chicken and the egg. Maybe there's something, you know, something that's part of that biofilm that's, uh, that's being produced that reduces inflammation, optimizes development and intestines. So that's a discussion I look forward to. Well, I wonder, um, you know, we talked about how this will affect the use of probiotics, but I'm kind of worried about how it'll affect just our ability, our research on probiotics. And I, I wonder what everybody's thought is about that and how we move forward, getting the funding needed to continue to study it, um, getting the participants needed to continue to study it. I'm going to let Ravi, if you want to take that now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, the the challenge with NAC is it's it's fortunately uh, uncom relatively uncommon, even though it's devastating and tragic when it happens. And so, to do trials of prevention strategies, because it's three to five percent incidence, you need you need a very large number of patients to study for prophylaxis, and that leads to large trials that are quite expensive and a large investment from industry to do those trials in a market that you could say is not the same as it would be for an adult, for example, or, or for, for children or for healthy infants, because there's a relatively, um, and that I think is a challenge for prevention trials. Now, I, I strongly believe that for NEC, that prevention has to be critical to the strategy because once a baby develops the disease, it, it's really hard, you know, that there needs to be better treatments at the onset, but that's going to be a, a harder thing to tackle. And so we really have to believe in prevention. But doing large clinical trials takes, you know, hundred, hundreds, you know, hundred plus million dollar investments. That's not going to be done, I think, through NIH or through academia. That has to be taken on by industry, and there's an important advocacy point for that. But but those are things that are outside of you know the control of what clinicians sometimes can can achieve. Um, so what, what did those happen? And you know, there's trials ongoing. Let's let's um, you know that that might provide products that people can. Can use, but I think in the meantime we should also not take away tools that clinicians have. Just like we um, still have steroids available, even if they're not mm -hmm. recommended, even if they're not um, they're not approved by the FDA for the use in which the way neonatologists use it. Now, steroids are a drug, and they're, they're regulated as such, um, systemic steroids. But um, you know, probiotics fall into a little bit of a different regulatory um, area by the FDA, and I think that's part of some of the complications here that that are different um, than than the way if we were talking about drugs that are used off label, for which most of us are uh, are use most of us use many of the treatments. Um, so I, I think that that future study is going to be. Um, I think in reality, just a, a challenge for, for large, large trials of many of these strains um, to, to at least for the outcome of prevention. Now, there might be other outcomes that clinicians can, you know, studies can look at that feeding intolerance or days to feeding or, or other things that might, might be able to be studied easier. I think um, we said that we would try to keep this podcast within a half hour. And so as we're getting close to that uh, time point, uh, I think what we're gathering is that um, this this FDA warning is definitely um, creating a lot of discussion about probiotics in the NICU, and for that, it's it's definitely positive. It um, 
it is very concerning that it is uh, pushing the field in a direction that moves away from a from a from a, a tool like in probiotics that we have to significantly reduce the incidence of neck. I think if you followed the coverage that we did of the next sim society symposium, the biggest takeaway is we have to build a world without neck. The goal is not to find the best therapy for neck, but it, the goal, as mm -hmm. Ravi was just mentioning, is to try to find the best preventive tools that we have to avoid it altogether. Um, I mean. To me, as I'm going to, I think we should maybe uh, go around and, and share our thoughts about this in terms of what we feel this is, this what our impressions are. I think to me, this is, uh, in my opinion, this FDA warning is very damaging because um, it is um, putting clinicians in a very difficult positions, both from a treatment standpoint at the bedside, but also like Daphne was mentioning from a research standpoint. And the reason is, that the FDA published this warning, that's number one, but it got a ton of media traction. I mean, if you mm -hmm. if you Google this, you'll see that this was covered by many very respected uh, media outlets like CBS News, CNN, and so on and so forth. And so I think that even though my hope is that we can all uh, sit at the bedside and go over the evidence with the parents, I put myself in the position of a, of a parent that is not the most knowledgeable person on this specific topic. And you see a doctor that, again, They, they don't know us very well as neonatologists. They've met us for the first time after the birth of their baby. And we're going to try to say, hey, this, this, this tool is actually working. And then on the other hand, you have organizations like FDA and then CNN and all these other outlets that are saying it's no good. It's, making our, it's going to make our job very difficult to get to a point where we're going to be able to actually objectively present the evidence and let families make an informed decision. So I think for that alone, is, it's, to me, is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big issue. I just hope that the FDA can follow this warning with a more comprehensive statement that, that puts back, that restores balance in the force if you are a Star Wars. But yeah, so these are, these are my takeaways. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Rooney, what are, what are your thoughts uh, as, we, uh, as we wrap up this episode? Yeah, absolutely. So, so working, having worked in the, in the quality and safety field for a very, very long time, uh, clinicians hate being told, uh, not to do something, um, or not to provide any kind of therapy, which I totally get. So I think what we're in right now is a reactive kind of clinician kind of discussion, which is, which is great. Um, we should see the FDA warning as, um, something invigorating. We should see it as an opportunity to move the field of necrotizing enterocolitis prevention forward, uh, rather than falling back in maybe in the old track that we were in. Maybe we had too much trust in the probiotics. Maybe we had too much trust in the industry um, producing the probiotics. Um, maybe there was not enough oversight. Who knows? Um, so in that sense, I'm... I'm excited about this. I'm excited that looking at new, maybe anti-inflammatory aspects of a, a microbiome, um, new research that uh, will maybe one day provide us with a, a drug uh, or a cocktail of bacteria where we can say, hey, we're, we know exactly what we're giving and we have more control over exactly this preventive strategy uh, for this devastating disease. Daphna. Yeah, I'll go next so Ravi can close us out with his expertise. <laughs> um, you know, I my last kind of thoughts are more of a, let's say, a parent than a neonatologist. You know, we're thinking about this in our very specific, very high risk and sick population. But truthfully, the use of probiotics in infants has exploded in the well baby sector. And so 
I think the potential benefit of that is that um, the lay public is likes their probiotics. Um, and so I think they're going to continue uh, to push for that. Um, and industry is going to continue to push for it because it, it meets a, a need that families are looking for, especially as the microbiome uh, in general is becoming such a hot uh, topic. Um, and, you know, I, I was disappointed because you know, we discuss probiotics almost every journal club, it feels like. Um, and, you know, we, the community was not totally convinced, though there's definitely a movement based on this layers and layers and layers of, of data. Um, and I feel like for some people who are on the fence, this is going to, this is going to be problematic. But, um, I, I'm hopeful, like Rudy said, that we um, will band together and say this is something that we need. Um, the discussion has really been focused on neck, but but truthfully, there are so many aspects of optimizing the infant microbiome and other um, disease pathways that we haven't even explored. Um, and so, I think you know, cutting that that down um, is a mistake. Ravi. Okay. Um, well, first, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to join, and to, I've enjoyed this discussion. You know, I, I'm a I'm a really passionate believer about evidence based medicine. So, my first, I think, specifically to the clinicians and the families who might be listening, is is we really should think about the evidence and don't forget the evidence and considering risks and benefits, like we do for all the other things, and don't single out probiotics and just take it out of that equation. Keep it in the equation, like we do for steroids and for other things. I, I do hope that there's an opportunity that the FDA agrees to engage with the new nail community, with stakeholders, with patients and their families. I know the next society is very focused on this and and hopefully we'll have have a statement coming out that that they engage and, and really hear um, the concerns and maybe provide some clarity about about kind of the ways forward. And so that that, that would be my my kind of hopeful stance. Um, we'll have to see if that happens. But um, but I would say for the clinicians you know, don't forget evidence-based medicine. And there's a lot of evidence out there. And, and that evidence is always balancing risks and benefits, your own personal experience and, and the kind of preferences and values of families and and, and to really put this within that that lens. Love that. Love that. Thank you. Thank you, Ravi. Um, Rooney, Ravi, Daphne, thank you. Thank you very much for joining uh, the show today to talk about this. And I'm sure there will be more ongoing discussion. I think we hope that this episode was helpful in bringing you up to speed as to what exactly happened and what is the what is at play and what is the level of evidence and what is the confidence level of the evidence and so on. So uh, you have a, a balanced perspective. Um, we will see you all on Sunday for an episode of uh, The Incubator with a great interview with Dr. Paige Church. Uh, until then, everybody have a good rest of your day. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Incubator. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of The Incubator and new shows from The Incubator Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com, or by visiting our website, www.the-incubator.org. You can also message the show on Instagram or X, formerly known as Twitter, at NICU Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.
This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.